Thank you for joining me for our Maundy Thursday service. Maundy is a, from a Latin word, mandate, meaning commandment. And well, in our gospel reading tonight, we'll hear about that new command that Jesus gave his disciples to love one another as he has loved us. And that command, well, following Jesus' example and and his selfless love for us, that's what we'll want to have in, in our lives. And of course, well, we can't have that selfless love, but, but we have Jesus' selfless love, and that's why we can be sure of, of heaven. We're going to begin our service with some of the opening liturgy from our bulletin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is Jesus, the incarnate God sent from the Father and anointed by the Holy Spirit. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Lift up your hearts to our covenant God. Jesus keeps his promises. We'll sing hymn number 106, Come to Calvary's Holy Mountain. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows to you, to me, to all. In a full perpetual tide, opened when our Savior died. Come in sorrow and contrition, Wounded, paralyzed, and blind. Hear the guilty free remission. Hear the trouble peace may find. Health this fountain will restore. He that drinks shall thirst no more. He that drinks shall live forever. Tis a soul-renewing flood. God is faithful, God will never break his covenant of blood. Signed when our Redeemer died, sealed when he was glorified. 
reading for this Monday, Thursday, goes back to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14, where we hear about the Passover celebration. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Our epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. This is Paul's instructions regarding the Lord's Supper, looking back to the institution of the Lord's Supper by our Savior. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Alleluia. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Our Gospel reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 15 and 34. This section talks about that new command that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us on Monday, Thursday evening. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a ba into a basin and began, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And let's sing our next hymn, hymn 136. Twas on that dark, that doleful night. Was on that dark, that doleful night, when powers of earth and hell arose against the sun, our God's delight, and friends betrayed him to his foes. Before the mournful scene began, he took the bread and blessed and broke. What love through all his actions ran, what wonder. 
wondrous words of grace he spoke. This is my body slain for sin. Receive and eat the living food. Then took the cup and blessed the wine. Tis the new covenant in my blood. Do this, he said, till time shall end. In memory of your dying friend, meet at my table and record the love of your departed Lord. Jesus, your feast we celebrate. We show your death we sing your name till you return and we shall eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The Word of God we want to consider this Monday, Thursday evening is from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 17. Mark writes, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. His disciples left and went into the city and found things just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he arrived with the twelve. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow Christians who are following in the footsteps of our Savior, it's called the Senecal, that's spelled C-E-N-A-C-L-E, Senecal. It is from a Latin word which means dining room. And the particular dining room, the Senecal that we're talking about, is one that has been important to Christians oh, for 1,600 years. The claim is made that the Senegal, which is located on what is called Mount Zion, a nickname for a portion of Jerusalem's western wall, is the same upper room 
where Jesus and his disciples gathered on Maundy Thursday when he said to them, take and eat, take and drink. And this location, it's supposed to be directly above King David's tomb. On the lower floor of that building, Jews would regularly gather to pray in what has become a, a synagogue for some of the Jewish people. Yet this cynical that we're talking about really can hardly be the exact same place where Jesus did celebrate the Passover, the last needed Passover, and the first Lord's Supper with his disciples. Although the foundations of the building do date back to probably around the third century, the cynical that a person would visit today if you went on a guided tour through the Holy Land, it's hardly the same place because when you look at it, you'd see soaring Gothic ribbed vaults. And that's hardly the style of the Jewish people from back at Jesus' time. Actually, most archaeologists and historians, they're more inclined to think that this cynical was, was constructed by the Crusaders around 1200 A.D. Yet it seems to make no difference because thousands upon thousands of religious pilgrims every year visit the Cynical. As a matter of fact, in May of 2014, that included Pope Francis, who went there at the end of a, of a pilgrimage that he was taking through the Holy Land, and he's supposed to have said, here the church was born and was born to go forth. Maybe, but probably not, because that's probably not the same place. The precise coordinates for the upper room, they're long lost. But the pull of that upper room for Christians is still, oh, so strong. Because as we gather this Monday, Thursday, we're going to the upper room in spirit. We're going on that quiet pilgrimage like those Christians who maybe would be in the promised land. But we're going to go to the upper room and with the inspired gospel writers, we're going to hear about that upper room and what went on there. And we're going to look at, well, what the gospel writers have to say, in particular, the gospel writer Mark. Our Savior's inspired gospel tour guides, they carefully tell us, as we continue our look at our Savior's final steps, that his final steps led to the upper room. The upper room, a room where his disciples carefully prepared the Passover and a room where God's lamb carefully prepared to die. And the, the key word there is that word carefully. Well, before we go any further, as before we go any further stepping into 
stepping into God's inspired record here, what we want to note is that our message here might be a little bit different from what we'd expect as we make many of our pilgrimages to that upper room. And what I mean by that is usually we're thinking and focusing on the Lord's Supper, the Lord's gracious command when he said, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many. And see now what, when we, when we come to a Maundy Thursday service, we, we yearn to hear how Jesus gave this visible gospel gift for believers of every age, a wonderful gift that we can see, smell, touch, and taste. And as we kneel at the communion rail or stand at the communion rail, What's going to happen is that then we can have a weight as heavy as hell itself lifted from our shoulders because of Jesus' wonderful promise when he gave the Lord's Supper. Those words, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Well, this message is going to focus a little bit more on the setting around the Passover than on the supper, Jesus' visible gospel gift to us. Yet, the Lord's Supper and its teaching isn't being set aside. Our entire Maundy Thursday service, the liturgy, the hymns, they're centered on teaching us a little bit more about the Lord's Supper, about preparing for it properly, with a heartfelt confession of sins, in hearing scripture readings that teach us about that supper, in receiving the Lamb's Supper, the bread and the wine, and Christ's very body and blood, and being restored to live a new and holy life in Christ our Savior. Well, we're going to focus on that, but yet it's not a bad idea to also focus on the fact that that supper, it didn't just fall out of the sky being catered down upon the disciples and Jesus by angel caterers. The Lord's Supper was carefully and purposely rooted in Old Testament Passover celebration and it took hours of preparation, of careful preparation to get ready for that meal. And we want to think about that careful preparation a little bit. The meal lasted several hours. It was an elaborate and a scripted meal, and it consisted of multiple prepared special dishes. And those included, well, there's the carpus, that's an appetizer of a small piece of parsley, onion, a boiled potato dipped into salt water. There was the matzah, that we kind of recognize. That's the unleavened bread made of, made of flour and water. There's the chiraseth, a paste-like sauce made of fruits, nuts, and wine. The marer. It's bitter herbs, usually horseradish, uh, 
Sometimes it could be romaine lettuce. And there was a roasted egg that was also included there to represent the offering that was brought to the temple. Each course of the meal is eaten solemnly, slowly, accompanied by a script that was written down over the years to, to teach them about how God delivered his people from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. And then you add in four cups of wine that would go along with the dinner. It was an elegant dinner, a stately dinner, with the finest of dishes and the finest of accommodations. Very special meal for God's people. Well, a lot of meticulous care went into preparing the setting in the upper room that was ceremonially cleaned prior the day before the, the celebration, and it was ceremonially cleaned like that so that not a crumb of yeast was left in any nook or cranny in that home. Well, there was all this preparation to be made. So when Jesus sent two of his disciples to go into the city and to find a room, find an owner who would show them, it says, a large upper room furnished and ready. Those two disciples had to be absolutely thrilled that that preparation of the room had already been taken care of for them. But then there was a lot of other preparation for them to do. There was the lamb, the centerpiece of the Passover celebration. That meant hours of preparation time, actually, because Jesus' disciples couldn't just go someplace and get a pre-prepared lamb, like you'd go to Sands and get a rotisserie chicken. They couldn't do that. It had to be purchased probably probably at an inflated price because it had to be a lamb that was approved by the, by the temple priests. It, that lamb, it had to be slaughtered early that same Thursday afternoon at the temple, and then it had to be roasted carefully before the evening meal. A lot of work went into this meal, and because of that, that kind of just boggles our 21st century mind where we're used to microwaves, where we get upset because you cooked your piece of pizza and it wasn't warm enough, so you had to cook it a little bit longer. Well, here the process was a long, elaborate process, getting things ready for the meal. And we haven't even talked here about, oh, the daunting task that was involved normally in finding an appropriate upper room. As I've told you in other services, Josephus, the historian, says that the population of, of Jerusalem at the time of the Passover could swell to like two million people. And everyone who was there was looking for an appropriate place to celebrate the Passover. And, well, the Jewish Mishnah commentary, it said that the Jews were forbidden to 
carry a slaughtered lamb, a lamb that had been slaughtered in the temple and take it outside the city walls. So they had to find an appropriate place within the city of Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And it was supposed to be furnished and ready. <laughs> Good luck with that. How were they going to find this? That seemed like an, impos an impossibility, but not for Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who scripture says reclined at the table with the 12 apostles. Not for the Lamb who said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. Not, it wasn't an impossibility for the Lamb who knew how vital this upper room was in God's plan to save you and me. So the Lamb sent Peter and John into Jerusalem with directions that were absolutely fail-safe. It was going to work even though they would seem bewildering to you and me. How was this going to work out? Well, it says, Jesus says, go into the city and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Interesting thing at that time in that culture, a man wouldn't be the one who would do the fetching of water for the Passover, for ritual washings. That would be the responsibility of, of a woman. But here the Son of God, think about this, he could see this one man and the two million people that were there in the city, he could see that one man and tell his disciples, wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Was that owner of the house in the upper room? Was he a follower of Jesus? It seems kind of likely that maybe he was. Otherwise, would the title, the teacher from Peter and John have been enough to convince him? to let those two disciples have that upper room's use? Well, it was no accident that Jesus' final steps led to the upper room. There were hours of careful preparation needed to get everything ready, and, and well, actually, there was an eternity of preparation that God went into it, and, and that's the point that we want to think of with this careful preparation. You see all the care, all the concern, you see all the care and all of the concern of our God working things out for our salvation, pointing ahead to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And this wasn't going to fail. They, they were going to be able to accomplish this because God had this plan and it was going to work out. Well, it was a room where the disciples carefully prepared for the Passover. It was also a room 
where Jesus, the Lamb of God, carefully prepared to die. And when you think of him at the Last Supper, it's as if there was a, a, a death shroud that was covering him while he was reclined there with the disciples at the table. Well, Jesus, here what he did is he regulated, departed from the official script for the Passover because of, well, what was happening here that night and the next day. Jesus paused and warned the disciples. He said, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And no less shocking was when Jesus had to tell them about his coming slaughter as the Lamb of God in the supper itself. Well, he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many. Amen, I tell you, I will certainly not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, there was his stern warning to the disciples. He said, this night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. In the anguished warning that he gave to the apostle Peter, amen, I tell you, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And, and add on top of that, all the carefully scripted words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to us on that special night, Lamb's legacy, his last will and testament, his last words to them, to us, life-changing words. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. His life-giving words. I am the way and the truth and the life. And life-saving words that are so appropriate in the day and age in which we live. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let it, do not let it be afraid. Jesus gave all of these words to his disciples and to us, well, because his final steps led to the upper room. And he knew he needed this secluded spot where he could spend some private time with his disciples, where he would be away from his enemies and away from the crowds, where he could oh, have fellowship with those disciples, give them some needed instruction, and tell them all these things. And now just think about this details, the care that was involved there just gives us that picture of the care that our God has for us, that our Savior has for us. You know, even giving those details, thinking about that man fetching the water who would lead them to the owner of the upper room who needed to hear nothing more from Peter and John then. The teacher says, 
Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And, and then there was the upper room, furnished, ready to go, ready to go for Jesus and his disciples, for the king of king, kings who was there to be the servant of all. And yet, there's, as we carefully put together all the pieces of the Gospels here, there's, there's one essential bit of information that adds urgency to this whole situation. Matthew tells us, Jesus said, My time is near. I will observe the Passover with my disciples at your house his words to that owner of the house. My time is near. The chosen time, the appointed time, the time that our Lord set from eternity itself was now at hand. The time for our Savior's final steps, his final steps which led to that upper room and led to the garden and led to the trials, to the beating, the scourging, to Pilate, to the cross, to pay for our sins. Now to that Via Doloroso, the way of sorrows, to the center cross there on Golgotha, where the Lamb of God would forever finish the messy business of paying for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And here's where we get a little more personal with this message. For you know, you think about it, our Savior who could look into that city of, of two million people and, and see the man fetching water who would lead them to the owner of the house of that with the upper room. The way that all worked together the amazing thing is, is that that Savior who could see that one man then can look into, say for instance, my home and see me there, sometimes alone, sometimes my wife, but see me alone maybe at times and, and notice that maybe I'm not always saying, Alleluia, praise the Lord, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, but but he can see the doubts, the fears, the worries that I would experience. He can see those times when maybe I'd be upset with God because of how things are going in this life. And now he can see that because actually there is, of course, a, a, a trespasser in the parsonage. And that doesn't mean you should call the police. The trespasser that I'm talking about, of course, is the sinful nature, my sinful nature, your sinful nature. Our sinful nature is that part of us that when life is hard and tough, it moves us to get on one another's nerves, to be upset with God, and it wants us to not trust in God. But the Lamb of God knows all that. He knows my sin, he knows your sin, he knows our weaknesses, and he paid for all of that too on the cross because 
You know, nothing takes our, our Savior by surprise. Look at all of the care and all of the detail that went into going to celebrate the Passover that pointed ahead to the Lord's Supper, that pointed ahead to Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. All of the detail, all of the care. Jesus' final steps led to that upper room exactly as planned. The Gospel writer Mark simply reports his disciples left and went into the city and found things just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he arrived with the twelve. And the next day, his final steps led to Golgotha, to the cross, where he paid for our sins carefully, exactly as he had planned. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in the sacrament of Holy Communion, you give us your true body and blood as a remembrance of your suffering and death on the cross. Grant us so firmly to believe your words and promise that we may always partake of this sacrament to our eternal good. We pray to you, O Christ, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And we gather up all other prayers we have as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Thank you for joining me for our Maundy Thursday service. Remember, we have our Good Friday Tenebrae service, 6.30 p.m. Easter Sunday service time is like usual, but in between services, have our Easter brunch and our Easter egg hunt. Lord's blessings as we continue this Holy Week thinking of our Savior's suffering and death and looking forward to celebrating his resurrection. The Lord bless and keep you. Amen.